0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Health Hack Podcast. My name is Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. And I apologize for my uh, more than usual nasally voice, uh, I'm getting over COVID, but uh, doing okay on the mend. And today we are going to cover mask mandates and mask effectiveness, speaking of COVID, uh, how cannabis may actually impact COVID spread or, or uh, the replication of the virus, human-animal hybrids, Insect protein and uh, some clickbaity articles going around there on olive oil. So let's
1: kick it off with the most most controversial one: masking. Yep. So there have been multiple studies on masking, and um, there's two I kind of want to focus on here. One talking about the effectiveness of masks. I think the most comprehensive study I've seen that compares kind of a broad spectrum of types of masks and looks at their effectiveness. But before that, I want to go to look at a study done in Bangladesh about mask mandates. So basically what they did for this study is that they um, they have access, I guess, I don't know who ran this study or who has this data, but they have access to kind of the locations of, on for each person's phone so they know where they are, when they move, so they can see um, how frequently people actually stay home and when they leave their house Um, so they they implemented a mask mandate and then they looked at you know how often people were left their home during that period and they looked at covid cases and what they found was when the mandate went into effect it resulted in a statistically significant association of new covid cases which might be a kind of bizarre outcome there but that's what happened when the mask went into effect covid cases went up now the reason for that is what they kind of suspect here is that because they have location of people they were able to see how many people actually stayed home how many people went how many people went out and when the mask mandate went into effect people were actually more likely to go out likely because they have this protection over their face so they they think okay i'm safe everybody else is masking as well so we're all safe to go outside. No one's going to get COVID. Well, that, that, that didn't happen. Everybody went outside still because they had, had this blanket of protection or this perceived blanket of protection, and it actually resulted in an increase in COVID cases. So that's kind of one strike on mask mandates for where they may not be effective. I'm not saying masks aren't effective, just in this circumstance here. People went out more, people were around each other more often, and the masks weren't as protective as they thought they would be. Now to go to the other study to see how protective masks are, Uh, this study was looking at the effectiveness of the different types of masks. So cloth masks, surgical masks, KN95s, and then R95s. And um, at, this has actually been kind of a hot topic within the past two weeks with Omicron and how contagious it is. There's been, I think, I think the CDC just came out and said, said something about masks, about wearing specific type of masks, um, because evidence shows that cloth masks, even surgical masks, aren't that effective at blocking particles. In this study, this is a peer-reviewed study, and we will uh, link it in the show notes here. But they were looking at cloth masks and only filtered 9.8 percent of particles Um, surgical masks only filtered 12.4 percent of particles and if you look in the study it's really interesting because they actually have this kind of video it's like a black and white video that shows people breathing through the mask and you can actually see the particles kind of where they come out so like with the cloth masks it comes straight through the mask obviously obviously it comes through the gaps of the nose Um, surgical mask same thing a little bit less comes through the mask more so through the nose and then with the kn95 and r95 um, very little particles get through the mouth itself but a lot can come out through the nose especially if it's not fitted right so the effectiveness of those was better but still not as much as you may think kn95s filtered out 46.3 percent and r95s filtered out 60.2 percent so even assuming best case scenario, if if you implement a mask mandate and every single person is wearing a KN95 or an R95, one of these, the most effective masks that the average person has access to, at best, you are 50% protected from that. So um, it's, uh, I guess, a stat that you haven't probably heard in kind of the mainstream media, you're just told to wear a mask. It doesn't specify which mask um but cloth masks are effectively useless um we've kind of a lot of people said this from the start but it was dismissed by a lot of people but it is pretty obvious that cloth masks aren't effective um if you want to effectively masks k95 r95 is your best bet even then you're only blocking about 50 percent of that
0: this has been one of the more frustrating things about masking that I've noticed since the beginning of the pandemic, there has been no conversation around types of masks. It's just masks are masks. Right. And we have all this uh, very specific recommendations around, you know, number of days we should be quarantining in what situations and uh, vaccine dosage and timing and all that stuff. But when it comes to masks, it's just wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Well, not all masks are created equal. And, and you, you see these very heated arguments around masks. Masks work, masks don't. Well, you can't just say masks. Like, you got to be specific about what kind of masks you're talking about. Because if we're talking about cloth masks, very ineffective. If you're talking about M95s worn properly, much more effective, mm-hmm. you know, 10 times more effective than cloth masks. So to just say masks work or masks don't, you're really missing a big part of the conversation. and And that has been very frustrating and it took two years for the cdc to come out and say cloth masks aren't as effective it's like well what couldn't we have had we surely we knew that at the beginning but any any saying anything bad about a mask was controversial or frowned upon so we just have to say that all masks are good when that's just not the case so we need to get more specific and that's what this data shows us so yeah all right, I guess keeping it rolling with COVID, this was an interesting study that you may have seen going around. Uh, the the Oregon, Oregon State University looked at two compounds, or they discovered two compounds in hemp that may actually be able to prevent the spread of COVID. So I'll try to say the two names of these. Cannabis, yeah, okay, I'm already screwing this up. CBGA is one, CBDA is another. They're not controlled substances. They're very safe in humans. They come from the hemp plant. And what they found is that in a laboratory setting, these two compounds were able to bind to the uh, SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, preventing them from entering cells and replicating, and then thereby preventing infection. Now, this was done on old variants, alpha and beta variants, so they did not look at delta or omicron yet. Although they plan to study that, and it was done in uh, human kidney cells, so they were human cells. This this wasn't an animal study, but it was obviously, you know, in a petri dish, um, on a cellular looking at these on a cellular level. Um, but this is super interesting. Uh, I think another, another maybe unforeseen benefit of uh, the cannabis plant. Now, a lot of people are thinking, you know, maybe the the weed smokers are thinking, sweet, you know, <laughs> I'm smoking weed. That's all I need for uh, to prevent COVID. But what they they found is that these two compounds are specifically are very heat sensitive. So you can't smoke this, um, even if you were to like probably put these in a gummy because in order to make a gummy, you have to heat it up. So it'd probably be killed if you were to put put this in a gummy. I'm not sure it oil will probably be the delivery method if this ever comes to, to be, but an interesting potential therapeutic, um, very safe, obviously needs to be tested more. will need to be explored with different variants, but I would assume that it would be cost effective. I guess I'm not sure what what it would take to extract these compounds, but a very safe, um, therapeutic for preventing COVID from replicating. So I think this is why you know conversations about alternative treatments or or finding new treatments or new therapeutics is a good thing. You know, thinking of out of out of the box ways I think could could really save more lives. And and who knows, maybe these compounds can even stop other viruses from replicating in the way that can
1: stop um, COVID. Um, we'll see. Thought that was an interesting one. Yeah, I think cost effective is a big one too. Uh, these pharmaceutical companies often there's a lot of r&d that goes into it so the the pills are very expensive whereas something like this with with hemp it's a natural product and it's something that has been studied quite a bit there'd obviously be some r&d going into it but something like this seems to would provide a uh, you know a, a cheaper alternative to something that a uh, pharmaceutical company spent years developing and researching so yeah. The more options, the better. And uh, there seems to ha- be a lot of therapeutics potentially out there for COVID. So hopefully those yeah. keep coming. So next story, we are moving on from COVID on to um, a uh, recent uh, big, uh, I guess, what do I want to call this? Milestone in yeah, milestone. organ transplants. So Essentially, they took the heart of a pig and put it into a human and uh, into a a, a live human. This is not like a cadaver. This is actually a a living human being. And he is to this day, as of now, he is still alive and he has a pig heart inside of him. So we actually did a story on um, animal organ transplants to human in the Health Health Hack newsletter back, I believe, in November, talking about where they did this with a liver. They took a liver from a pig and put it into this was a a brain dead human so it was it was a human they were they were brain dead and the liver lasted i think it was like 52 hours which was one of the most successful things that they have seen in terms of like a liver Um, and that was a that was a big milestone there and then fast forward just two months they took a pig and put it into a live human being, and it was successful to this point. He is still living. Um, and how they do this in the first place is I'm not going to get into any details, uh, is they do the gene editing to the the pig to allow the human, to, human body to um, take the heart or take the organ without rejecting it. Um, so this is very, very... Uh, it's controversial, exciting, but also controversial. Um, there's a lot of mixed opinions on this on whether this is ethical or not. Um, we don't have to get into that here, but it's a very, I guess, groundbreaking procedure. And the reason I guess they use pig here in the first place is that pigs are very anatomically similar to humans. So like that, the heart of a pig or a hog, like at the time of, of slaughter, like that age it's almost the exact size of a human heart so it's it's the perfect fit for a human there are the complications of it being a completely different species which is where the gene editing comes into play so they alter some genes to make it more compatible with the human body now in this case the guy who took the heart who who was a he was a 57 year old person who was not eligible for an organ transplant um so he was basically had a death sentence anyway, which is why he agreed to do this, because he knew this was a huge risk. He was gonna die anyway. He wasn't gonna get a trans a human transplant. So he agreed to do this. Um well, I forget where I was going with that. Yeah, I, I see where
0: some people could get upset by it because like we you see how factory farms treat animals. Like what if we start harvesting animals for their organs for for mm-hmm. humans? Like what do those conditions look like? Although I guess if you're about to put it in a human. You would want to treat it really well. I don't know. Yeah. Wasn't there a movie? I, what movie was it where they like made clones of people and then they like they harvested the
1: organs? It was like each person had their own clone. There's probably <laughs> a bunch of movies. I can't remember what it was. Some, some sci-fi movie, I'm sure. Oh, I know what I was going to say. That He, he is taking, um, and I think he probably has to continue taking this, a medicine to basically... Protect the heart from from failing on him. Like he's got to take. Um, I'm looking for a specific word here, but he to for the heart to reject his body. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to continually take medicine for that. Um, so I'm interested to see how long this guy lives. I would be surprised if he like lives like for a long time for many life, years. Yeah, a, yeah, a full life from here. He's 57 now. Um, but the fact that he's even lived this long, I think this was a close to a week ago. That's very impressive.
0: Yeah. You Um, see stories where organ transplants, it's like the, uh, not the donor, but the recipient live for like in in animals, you know, live for 48 mm -hmm. hours. It's like, and that's considered a breakthrough. So for a guy, human to live for a week is pretty good. But yeah, I would be surprised if he, you know, lives a normal life. And I would assume that he will have to take those, the immune suppressing drugs
1: forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So yeah, interesting story, interesting future where that could be. There are currently a hundred thousand people on the donor transplant, transplant list. Um, and uh, a lot of people die every day just because they can't get an organ. So this would be depending on how, what your ethical view of it, this would be a very, uh, awesome thing for, for humans to, um, have a second chance at life. Yeah. Yeah. Cool
0: stuff. Cool stuff happening. Uh, that's actually a um, good segue into a, a, a new new thing that I came across, insect protein. And I have seen cricket protein before, but mm-hmm. never really read up much on it. And in this study specifically, they were looking at how effectively could they get the protein out of crickets, locusts, and silkworms. And Uh, It all depends on like how alkaline the water is. But with this method that they developed, and I think they out of this study came a patent. They were able to extract 70% of the protein from these insects. And they found that for they looked at the protein, like the protein content in cricket and locusts contained over 70 grams of crude protein per 100 gram sample of this powder which is like pretty, pretty high concentration. And then silkworm powder was like 50 grams of protein per 100 grams of of powder. And what is interesting is that they looked at the am- amino acid content and they had these insect powders contained uh, adequate amounts of eight of the nine essential amino acids. Hmm. And then it actually did contain the ninth amino acid. I couldn't figure out which which amino acid it was. did contain that amino acid, just not in a sufficient amount. Now, how much amino acids we all need is different for everyone. And the recommendations are pretty low. Like That's just to not become deficient. But all that is to say is that these insects do contain EAAs that uh, we may be able to consume in a cost-effective manner. And what's interesting is that like 80% of the world consumes insects on a regular basis. Like that's a big source of protein around the world, but obviously in the U S we don't like that's gross to us. You know, they made the case for uh, environmental arguments against me and and all that. What what was interesting, I thought, and again, we've talked about it before. Well-raised meat can actually be very good for the environment, can heal the environment. But one thing that they mentioned here I thought was interesting is that the harvest cycle for, a traditional farm animal, four to, four to 36 months, where with these insects, like a c- cricket, it's like 45 days. So it's a very short cycle. You can go from basically raising them to turning them into a protein powder that people can consume. And they've t- they talked about how a, a good use for this may be, maybe not necessarily throwing it in your, in your water, but like making – dough out of it like you can actually go on amazon and go to uh cricket flour and it it exists but the way they're doing it is supposedly you can the study that said that you can do it in a more efficient manner that was kind of the whole point of the study um but it is interesting i'm curious to see if this is something that we'll we'll see more of uh i think in our Western society, we're still kind of closed off to that. Like I've mentioned cricket powder, cr- cricket flour to people before, and it's people are very grossed out by it. But in other parts of the country, that seems normal. And if it actually does contain uh, all nine essential amino acids, this may be you know, a good alternative to people that maybe don't have access to uh, farm animals or don't want to consume farm animals, uh, but can still get a decent amount of protein for, for pretty cheap.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see where that goes. I've seen a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but here and there I have seen uh, cricket protein bars like on on shelves of, of random stores. Oh, so interesting. It's popped up. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times, but I've never tried it. So um, yeah, that could be a, a great, uh, great addition for people who can't get uh, access to quality meat on a consistent basis. A great, a great filler for that. Yep. Well, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the show,
0: I've been down this past week with Omicron. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what did I do to get over it so quickly? And, you know, the normal vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. But what I really attribute my insanely fast recovery to is Element. I you whenever you get sick, you have to stay hydrated. And that doesn't mean just drinking gallons and gallons of water, because that can actually cause more issues if you're not replenishing with electrolytes so i was super strict about getting my element in every day it's a thousand milligrams of sodium 200 milligrams of potassium 60 milligrams of magnesium it's all the electrolytes you need so when you're in bed you're sweating it out you can replenish with the electrolytes that you need so go to drink healthhack to get yours now you can actually just get a sample pack if you don't want to pay for the full thing. Um, a lot of great flavors. Check it out. DrinkLMNT.com slash health Be
1: ready when Omicron comes for you. All right. I think that is a wrap on all of the big headlines this week. So next, let's talk about the the fail of the week. What? I think you had an article out here about olive oil.
0: Yeah. So as I was skimming the headlines in preparation for our weekly newsletter podcast, I kept seeing this uh, study for olive oil. And, you know, one of the biggest, here one of the headlines was olive oil can cut risk of disease and help you live longer, study says. And lots of studies saying olive oil can, you know, uh, increase your lifespan, reduce your risk of heart disease, uh, you know, basically promoting olive oil as this uh, this real essential oil. And it, look, it's not bad. I don't have anything against olive oil. Uh, I think it, it can have a, a, a purpose in it. I mean, I use olive oil. I'll, I make salad dressing with it. I'll occasionally cook with it. Sometimes I'll get these... I can't remember the brand now. Potato chips. that aren't made with like seed oils. They're they are made with like avocado Bol- oil. Boulder Canyon? Boulder Canyon, I think. Yeah. Um, sometimes I just need some chips with a burger. So like I... I'll I'll eat olive oil like I have nothing against it, um, but the claims that they made here were were just a little bit far fetched because they were attributing first of all well first of all they were taking associations and then basically saying that all of that had to do with olive oil intake. So what they did is they uh, it was I mean thousands of people. Let me see if I can pull up the study here. I don't have a link. Never mind. Um, I mean there was like tens of thousands of people that they surveyed over the course of 28 years and basically every four years uh, 37,000 people okay so 37,000 people every four years they would give them a questionnaire and say how often do you eat this type of food and they asked about you know how often do you eat olive oil and then like what method you eat it in and like the quantity and as we've talked about here before like food questionnaires, especially one that is done once every four years, are extremely unreliable. Um, I mean, for, for a listener, like in the past four years, on average, how often have you consumed olive oil? You probably could not answer that question within an accurate amount. And so that's how they obtained the data. Um, and what they found is that those who claim to eat 0.5, half a tablespoon of olive oil per day – had a 19% lower risk of cardiovascular disease mortality, 17% lower risk of cancer mortality, 29% lower risk of neurodegenerative disease mortality, uh, 8% lower risk of respiratory disease mortality. All of that sounds great. problem is, how do, how can you know that all of those reductions in disease were associated with olive oil intake? In the study itself, it said that Those who consumed more olive oil were also more physically active, were less likely to smoke, and had greater consumption of fruits and vegetables compared to those with lower olive oil consumption. So all of these things probably had a factor. It wasn't just the olive oil, but a lot of the articles going around act like olive oil alone had these huge benefits. I mean, most people that eat olive oil are probably making meals at home, Uh, maybe eating more of like a Mediterranean-style diet more physically more health conscious so to attribute all those all these disease reductions just to olive oil it's just i think it's a little bit of a clickbait
1: yeah i think that the two main areas you use olive oils in salad dressing which means you're probably making your own which means you're probably eating a healthier meal or use it instead of you know canola oil or instead of butter as your uh as your cooking oil meaning again, you're cooking at home and you're probably cooking whole food. So like those are the two, I mean, and I guess baking, but other than that, like those are the two main uses for olive oil on a daily basis. So yeah, if you consume it consistently, you're probably somebody who eats your own food at home cooks your own mm-hmm. food. And that food is probably more whole food related. And if you're doing that, you're probably working out. So yeah, it's a, uh, it is kind of a stretch to, to say that the olive oil specifically is the factor for all those decreases of diseases. Yeah. So anytime you see
0: uh, uh, an article or study that says link or associated, ask yourself the other flip side of this. Like, okay, yes, those who ate olive oil at lower risk of these things or lower rates of these things. Okay. But what are people doing? People who eat olive oil, what else are they doing that could also factor into that? Uh, Correlation is an equal causation. Just something to think about as you're reading
1: health headlines yeah all right let's close things out with our weekly plug uh just something that we have been interested in lately something you guys can check out this next week so for me um super bowl is coming up two three weeks i think it's beginning of february best thing about a super bowl is the snacks everybody knows that so when you're eating the snacks though you don't want to bring doritos you don't want to bring nasty potato chips you want to bring high quality snacks um, and the way you can do that is with Ciete chips. Um, Ciete chips. What makes them so good is that first of all they don't put any crap in there. This sounds like an ad. This isn't an ad. I genuinely love Ciete chips. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Um, they one very unique thing about them that no other chip does is that that they use avocado oil as opposed to sunflower oil. Like even if you go into Whole Foods and try to find like the healthiest chip in there, they always use uh, either olive oil or um, which isn't a bad option compared to sunflower oil, but they almost all use sunflower oil, which the reason we don't like sunflower oil and prefer avocado or olive is the omega six to omega three ratio. A a balanced diet is going to consume a a, a good balance of six and three. Most processed foods have very high six and you don't get enough three. Um, And with sunflower oil, The ratio there is 40 to 1, 40, omega-6 to 1, omega-3. With avocado oil, it's much better at 13 to 1. So it's a better oil to use in your chips. So to your Super Bowl party, check out Siete Chips. Um, They make a ton of different kinds and a ton of different products, and and they're all very excellent. Yeah, good recommendation. I love that stuff.
0: Uh, My recommendation for the week, Ivermectin. If you, look, Omicron is coming for you. There is no getting around it. And if you want to handle it like a champ, you need to take ivermectin. Um, I'm kidding. That is not my weekly plug. I have nothing against people who take ivermectin. I know a lot of people who've taken ivermectin. I did not feel like I needed any kind of alternative treatment uh, when I got COVID. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, My real recommendation is element gummies. So I started toying around with making my own gummies and hoping to get these on the market one of these days. You can basically just take water and gelatin, which you can get pretty much anywhere, and then element. Mix all that up. Well, I'll, I'll give you the ratios. So one cup of water, I think two and a half tablespoons of gelatin. Basically like heat that up. Bring that to a boil. Throw in two packs of Element, and then pour it in whatever little gummy molds. Stick that in the refrigerator, and boom—you have little like electrolyte gummies. And I'm starting to toy around with other uh, with other vitamins. I, I would my goal is to make a single gummy cube with all my <laughs> all my vitamins <laughs> for the week. I've made several iterations, and they are terrible. They have made me gag. But the Element gummies are really good. And you can toy around with different flavors. If you can really handle the salt, add three or four packs. I found that two packs is a pretty good, um, pretty good amount, um, at least in the gummy molds that I was using. So, Element Gummies, a cup of water, two and a half tablespoons of gelatin, and
1: then however many packs of Element you want. It's a cool little snack. All right, I think that's all we have this week. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys have a great week, and we'll be back with another episode next week.